We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. As Jesus is on the cross, suffering, he was concerned with the welfare of his own mother in the future. It's believed at this point that Mary was a widow, that Joseph had had died, and, and so now Jesus, as the firstborn son in that culture, culturally, Jesus was obligated to care for the physical welfare of his widowed mother and to make sure that she would be cared for after his departure. And so he entrusted the care of his mother into the hands of the Apostle John. Have you ever been so consumed with your own well-being and your own life that your focus was solely on yourself instead of on others? As Pastor Dan continues his teaching series through the Gospel of John, he'll be challenging you to be more others-centered instead of being self-centered. Jesus, even while he was in the midst of the most excruciating pain anyone can possibly experience, he found his joy in focusing on the hope set before him, which was the salvation of anyone who would receive him. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 19 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. high priest is commanded to never tear his garment under any circumstances. Do you remember when Jesus was on trial just earlier in the evening, same night? I know it was a few weeks for us, but the same night Jesus was on trial before the high priest. And when Jesus declared to the high priest that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, what did the high priest do? He tore his garments. He's never supposed to tear his garments, but he tore his garments. He tore that robe, his high priestly garments. He tore them. He wasn't supposed to. He's commanded not to. So the Jewish high priest at that time tore his robe. Jesus had a similar robe, and his was not torn. Here's the symbolism. The Jewish high priest was no longer the legitimate high priest in God's eyes. Jesus is the legitimate high priest in God's eyes. In the book of Hebrews, he's described as the great high priest, right? And what does it say? Our great high priest, Jesus Christ, what is he doing right now? He is in heaven. He is in the holy of holies, if you will, the true holy of holies, interceding for us as our high priest, interposing his blood on our behalf when we sin in the holy of holies with the Father, So now, we come to verse 25. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's four women at the cross, we're told. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples, the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Jesus showed concern for his mother even while he's suffering on the cross. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, he's already gone through the scourging and the beating. Now he's, he's nailed to a cross. And he's concerned <clears throat> for his, his, own, his own mother while he's suffering. You know, when we read the Gospels, one thing that really stands out about Jesus is how others-centered he was, right? He was all about serving other people, serving others, caring for others. Uh, we, we never see Jesus do anything that was self-serving or self-centered. E- even here on the cross, he's still serving others. He's still caring for others, caring for his mother. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be like Jesus. We also should be other-centered and not self-serving or self-seeking or self-centered or selfish in any way. But we serve others. We put the needs of others ahead of our own. And we do it with joy, right? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, we'll serve others with joy. As Jesus is on the cross, suffering, He was concerned with the welfare of his own mother in the future. It's believed at this point that Mary was a widow, that Joseph had had died. And and so now Jesus, as the firstborn son in that culture, culturally, Jesus was obligated to care for the physical welfare of his widowed mother and to make sure that she would be cared for after his departure. And so he entrusted the care of his mother into the hands of the apostle John. And John was to care for her as he would his own mother, and he did. He brought her into his own home. Now, this raises a question for us. We're told in the Gospels that Jesus had four half-brothers. In addition, he also had sisters, plural. So he's got four half-brothers. He's got sisters, half-sisters, that were born to Joseph and Mary. But Jesus chose to entrust the welfare of his mother to John. And not to one of his half-brothers, not to one of his half-sisters. Why? Why not one of his siblings? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, A a couple possibilities. It, It could be because, at this point at least, none of his brothers are believers. They don't believe him. They don't believe he's the Messiah. Uh, It could be because they're not there. They're not at the cross. John was a believer, and John was present. Also, Jesus is, uh, or John is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus had a, a deep relationship with John, a deeper relationship with John than he had with his own siblings. And some of you maybe can relate to that. Or you have closer relationships with people in the body of Christ than you do with your, your physical family, your biological family. He had a deep relationship uh, with John. And, and, and apparently... Uh, Jesus thought John would do a better job than any of his siblings would do, and so he entrusted Mary's care to John, which says a lot about John 
It says a lot about John's character. It says a lot about their relationship and the depth of their relationship. That he would feel better that his mother stay with John and that John take care of his mother than his own, his own family. So now, verse 28. Verse 28 begins with the words, After this, that's, there's a big gap there that the other Gospels fill in for us. We're told in the other Gospels that Jesus was on the cross a total of six hours, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The first three hours, he experienced the wrath of man. Uh, He was mocked. He was ridiculed by man. He was reviled by man. The second three hours, he experienced the wrath of God. And we're told in the other Gospels that it was during those last three hours from noon to 3 p.m. while Jesus was on the cross, during those last three hours, that darkness covered all the land. Darkness covered all the land. And that darkness was not the result of clouds blocking the sun. It wasn't that it was overcast. It was not the result of an eclipse, as you often read in liberal commentaries today, that well, it must have been an eclipse that blocked the sun. Not during the Passover. There's a full moon during the Passover. There can't be an eclipse during the Passover. In the other Gospels, when it talks about how darkness covered the whole land, the word that's used for darkness, it means the darkness of night. Or or blinding darkness. In fact, there are other ancient writings outside the Bible that talk about this darkness that took place from noon to 3 p.m. Uh, we, we have external writings outside the Bible from ancient times that mention this. One ancient writer, listen to this, said it became so dark that the stars became visible at noontime. I'd say that's dark. It's not overcast. It's not an eclipse. It's the darkness of night at noon. So dark that the stars came out and you could see the stars in the sky. Uh, another, another historical record that we have tells us that this darkness was not isolated to Jerusalem, but it was recorded and experienced in Rome and Athens and other Mediterranean cities are mentioned, uh, and maybe even beyond that that we just don't have a record of today. So I want you to try to, try to imagine this. You know, here for the, you know, the first three hours, Jesus is on the cross. The crowds are mocking him, ridiculing him reviling him, saying, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? If you, if you are the Messiah, why don't you come down off the cross? And that goes on for three hours. Then suddenly at noon, the lights go out. And it's complete darkness. You can see the stars. There's no electricity. It's not like the street lights came on. Or they could just flip a switch and now they've got lights. I mean, it's dark. It's dark, though. It's a dark that we've never experienced. So now all of a sudden, it's, it's noon, and it's completely dark. Lights out. Everything is thrown into darkness. Stars are visible in the sky. The darkness was an indication of God's judgment. Because now we've gone from Jesus experiencing the wrath of man. Now it's the wrath of God. And so darkness falls upon the land, a sign of God's judgment and also a fulfillment of prophecy 
If you're a note taker, you can jot down Amos, you know, like famous Amos. Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says in Amos chapter 8, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast, remember it's Passover, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. They would shave their heads as a sign of mourning. I will make it like mourning for an only son and it's in like a bitter day. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now. Search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. There in Amos, the Lord said He's going to make the sun go down at noon. He'll bring darkness on the earth and broad daylight that the feast will be turned into morning just, just as it happened. When Jesus was crucified, it became dark at noontime. It's dark for three hours from noon to three. So imagine this again. The crowd's there. They're mocking. They're ridiculing. It's right by the city gate. People coming in and out of the city. They see this person. They're there for Passover, right? They're Jews there in the city to celebrate Passover. And as they're going in through the city gate, they see this guy hanging on the cross. And what's his crime? He's the king of the Jews. And they scoff, king of the Jews, he's on a cross. He's not the king of the Jews. And there are people there mocking, reviling him, making fun of him. Then suddenly, darkness at noon. And, and everything comes to an halt because there's no light. Everything stops. Nobody's moving. You, I mean, you've experienced that, Right? You've, you've experienced that where like you're walking through your living room in the middle of the night and the lights go out, the power goes out, and you, what do you, you just stop, right? Because you don't want to trip over the couch or whatever. And so and every, everything stopped. And you know what happens next? Now there's just total darkness. And from the darkness, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And it says that those people who just moments before were mocking him and reviling him said, he's calling for Elijah the prophet. And someone ran and got him something to drink. And others said, well, let's wait and see if Elijah comes. The whole tone changed. The whole scene changed now. Everything got real serious all of a sudden. No longer mocking. Now they're concerned. And it was at that point on the cross 
in the darkness, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Psalm 22, it was at that point that all of our sins, all of your sins, all of my sins, everything we've ever done wrong or will do wrong, all of our sins were put upon Jesus on the cross and he was forsaken by God for us as our substitute. He was abandoned by God for us in our place. It's the only only time in the four Gospels that Jesus called God God and not Father. Over 170 times in the Gospel, Jesus calls God Father. 21 times he calls him my Father, much more intimate, personal name. But at this moment, he calls him God. Because at this point, the relationship became judicial. Jesus was under the judgment of God for our sins, for the sins of mankind. And let me just say to you today, uh, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've never, you've never put your faith in Him and His death on the cross, you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins, to become your Lord, you've never asked Him to save you, uh, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, understand that you are under the judgment of God. He, he is not your father. He's not the man upstairs. He's your judge. And until you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's your judge. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we then become children of God. And he becomes our, our father in heaven. And here Jesus now, for the first and only time, he refers to God as God and not father because he is experiencing the judgment of God. He's cut off from the Father. He's asking why. He's without information for the first time in all eternity. He's asking why. He's abandoned. Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, the Bible says that sin separates us from God. Sin brings God's judgment Upon us, But Jesus took that judgment, he took that wrath for us on the cross so that we don't have to. He was forsaken so that we don't have to be forsaken by God. And so now verse 28, verse 28, after this, Jesus, look what it says, knowing that all things were now accomplished. We've got this three hours of darkness. Now all things are accomplished. This is what he came to do. This is what he came to accomplish. That the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. All things were now accomplished. He drank the cup of God's wrath for us. The wrath of God was satisfied. It's accomplished. And he said, I thirst. Again, Psalm 22. Psalm 22. I'll just read it to you. But Psalm 22, verse 15 There, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. His tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth. He's so dehydrated at this point. And so he says, I I thirst, verse 29. Now a vessel full of sour wine, vinegar, was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and they put it on a hyssop stalk And they put it up to his mouth. Again, this fulfilled prophecy. Giving him the sour wine or the vinegar to drink fulfills prophecy. If you're a note taker, Psalm 69, 
Verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. Sour wine. Fulfillment of prophecy. So they give him, they put this sour wine up to his mouth. Then verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, so he drinks it in. Remember, his tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth. That's why when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people thought he's calling for the prophet Elijah. They couldn't quite understand him. Because his tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth as he's speaking. But now he says, I thirst. He drinks in this sour wine. Why does he want to drink in this sour wine? Because what he is about to announce, he wants it to be loud and clear for everyone to hear. When he had received the sour wine, he said, what does it say in your Bible? It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus drank in the sour wine so that his tongue was loose. So that everyone could hear him loud and clear declare, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. There's nothing more that you have to do or I have to do to pay for our sins. There's nothing more that we owe for our sins to be forgiven. There's nothing more we need to do to be reconciled to God. Jesus paid it all for us on the cross. He didn't say, it's a start. Now you take it from here. He didn't say, it's up to you to finish it. He said, it's finished. It's done. The price has been paid. The Bible says, He paid for our sins once and for all. It's done. It's accomplished. And with that, it says, bowing His head, He gave up the Spirit. The work of salvation was complete. The, the other Gospels now, you know what they tell us? The other Gospels tell us at this moment when he bows his head, he gives up the Spirit. You know what happens? In the temple, the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Place from the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. God tears the temple now, tears the veil in the temple, symbolically demonstrating that the death of Jesus Christ gives us access to God now. We're no longer separated from him. By our sin, now we can come boldly into His presence. Now we come boldly to Him, to our Father in heaven. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says, Jesus made peace for us with God through the blood of His cross. His death has made peace for us. Peace with God for us. All of our sins are taken away by His sacrifice on the cross. And He has made peace between us and God. And you may say, well, how do you know? How can you be so sure that his death on the cross takes away all of our sins? How can you be so sure that his death on the cross has made peace for us with God? I can be so sure because three days later he rose again from the dead. And the tomb is empty. He died on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected. And he's alive today and he was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people alive. You know, someone has said that the empty tomb is the Father's amen to Jesus's, it is finished. And that's true. So Jesus paid all of our debt. He paid a debt that we could never pay ourselves. He made a way for us to go to heaven when there was no way for us to go to heaven. And he did all of that through the cross. Through the cross. Amen. He asked me how I know. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Dan today to study the Gospel of John. This book articulates Jesus' life in a unique and powerful way, revealing Christ's deity throughout its pages. John paints a picture of the King of Kings by also showing how he could take the sins of the world with him to the cross. Today, you can have your sins forgiven by Jesus, by this death that he already endured. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, though. He rose, he lives now, and he wants a relationship with you. Would you like to know more? Give us a call. We'd be happy to share the joy and freedom waiting for you in Christ. Call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We'd like to meet you too. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us at Calvary Chapel. Gather this Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. You'll also find more of Pastor Dan's messages at our website. Again, that's calvaryec.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for more from the Gospel of John right here on Ring of Truth. Reach true.